Jake is opening the podcast because Lucas did episode work for one episode this year. and he's Woo! Let's go! We pumping it! We loud, we ready, and uh, we're talking about a sad topic today, so we're not going to be celebrating much, but you know, we're talking about stuff. Jake, how are you doing today, my guy? I like that you didn't let me get to the socials yet. <laughs> not yet, but how are you doing, bud? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay. I'm going to reprise the role of tired and crappy, as Lucas did from the previous episode. (laughs) And I want to go through it with the audience that when we started that one, you genuinely thought we were starting the space race. And I I thought we were doing a different topic. We got one more episode of this, and I told you that like three times, and And you just conveniently remember, or just remembered it. Unremembered. I I don't give a shit. After we talk about this little fun experiment, then we're going to the space race. Yeah. It's actually funny because what we're talking about today is actually kind of kind of cognizant to to some stuff. It kind of actually it's a nice lead in almost actually. But um Yeah, yeah, Jake, uh do you wanna is there anything else you want to get into before I get into the topic today? Well, if you are interested in this podcast for whatever reason, if you're a new listener, (laughs) if you're an old listener, or if you're just a stranger, pass him by. Howdy. Strangers. Hello. You can follow us on Instagram. Yeah, Instagram. Facebook. Hell yeah. I think Snapchat, right? No, we don't have Snapchat. Not on the Snapchat. We do have TikTok. TikTok, Yep. Because we are the embodiment of two middle school aged guys. We also have a Twitter. Tweet, tweet. Twitter. Um, Lucas can tell you the rest because he's wanting me to do That's actually, that's everything except for the email. Oh, if you, yeah. if you have to send, if you want to send us questions or comments, concerns, no, it's <laughs> uh, it's actually hackhistory one hundred and one at gmail dot com. Yeah, woo woo. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, you know that was that was good, Jake. That was good. Mm. Um, so let's get to the topic today. Uh, as Jake did mention, I did do the research for this one. <clears throat> just a heads up, this one's a little sad. Um, just prefacing that, it's an interesting journey. I think you're all gonna like it. Um, but we won't be making jokes about people dying, as, you know, that's one thing we do not do in this podcast. Um, but yeah, but we're talking about airships today. Um, if you don't know what an airship is, most of the people think of, like, the Hindenburg, because that's the biggest example people know. But it's that big-ass balloon with, like, the little canopy under the... under. Yeah, that's... pretty much. It's a, if you think within, like, the beginnings of air travel, I'd say... I mean, if you don't know what we're talking we're at, about... We're, not to cut you off, but I... I... Well, I would say we're mm-hmm. probably at the still the very beginning of like yeah. In my stuff. intro, we'll go into that yeah. a little bit. I just want to if basically if you haven't if you don't know what an airship is, go ahead and Google it. I recommend it. It'll give you a much better um, idea of what we're talking about in this one. So I mean, and unfortunately, podcasting a an audio medium, I can't show you pictures. Um, but go ahead and look that up. I recommend that. There's a that. lot of burned corpses by the end of this, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, there is. It gets bad. Um, so anyway, without further ado, um, the episode title, The British Empire and the Dawn of Airships. So, in 1913, the British Empire stretched over all manner of the globe. The total number of people under the Union Jack's authority stretched to a rough estimate of 400 million people. <laughs> by that time... All of them <laughs> mostly unhappy that they had to answer. Yeah, it, a lot of people getting pretty unhappy by this time. Um, mostly because of this shit. <laughs> A lot of rich fucks just <laughs> running around in giant balloons filled with hydrogen gas. Yep. Um, and by the time the interwar period, so that's between World War One and World War Two, had begun, uh, which what is, time is just so specific years. yeah. So basically, um, the the era we're talking about mostly here is the 1920s and 1930s. Early 1930s, probably. Uh, early 1930s for the most part, but we do stretch in a little bit in the 20s just All to right. get some background and things like that. All right. Um, but uh, that's mostly so. That's referred to by many people as like the interwar period. So between World Rad War One and World War Two, um, the British Empire had lost some portions of the empire, but it still had large stretches of land in over four continents. The empire had shrunk, and with that re- realization, uh, so the empire shrinks between 1913 and the interwar period. You start losing some of those colonies. Um, so the British people essentially say, "Okay, well, our empire is shrinking. So how can we possibly manage and you know kind of retain the power that that for the rest of our shit? Yeah. Like, how can we quell this a little bit? You know, kind of quell some of these re- well, revolutions and stuff." This, though, is you're saying like it's it's going down now because in my mind, uh, this is actually like a genuine thought that I'm mm-hmm. having right now, is that I would have assumed that England would have started getting like. Where it would have started losing colonies in in world mass power, I guess if that's I mean that's a made up word that I just made, but it works <laughs> for me. 
um, probably after World War II, but in this case, they were losing, losing colonies now. Yeah, so you actually lose some um, colonies before that. Um, I, I don't have the exact names of the countries, I'm not going to lie, just because I wasn't super focused on that portion of it. Yeah. Um, the reason we're talking about the British Empire here is because it's going to kind of create the situation where people are thinking about these airships. Um, because they're thinking about air travel and to be able to, to reach countries faster, which I'll get into a little bit more in a second. Um, but yeah, so the British Empire is actually, it, it does shrink a little bit before the end of World War II. Yeah. You start to see some of these places shrinking already. Um, so with that being the case, um, the answer kind of was, is uh, the question is how can we get some quicker transportation, um, to some of these, you know, far reaching colonies, um, so that, you know, we can prevent some of these you know, revolutions and things like that from happening. So how can we basically better manage our global superstore? <laughs> well, let's be honest, though. I can kind of see where you would say an airship is kind of a sketchy, or not sketchy in like a dangerous, but it is dangerous, way of like maintaining your power over the skies. Because I don't think most <laughs> people in Europe around that time know what the fucking airplane is in certain No, so, world. yeah, and that's the... In, in, My God, <laughs> it's a dragon! Well, and that's exactly it. So, um, to... <laughs> To kind of get into the transportation thing a little bit. So, sure, there was the natural choice of jumping on a ship and setting sail. Um, but, with, but even with advanced technology in the best conditions, it could still take weeks or even a month or two to reach the most distant continents of the Empire. Yeah. So we're talking about places like Australia and things like in yeah, New Zealand. Yeah, you're going, like, heart halfway around the world. Yeah. Then, of course, there was the option of traveling via horseback. Um, while, that is while, fucking stupid. <laughs> while having the advantage of abundance, uh, equestrian travel prohibited the ability to cross any significant body of water, obviously. Oh, uh, I'll tell you what. I'll <laughs> prove you wrong. Just start sending horses out. Send the stagecoach. He go. can swim, I swear. He could swim. And he's floating atop the top Sea Biscuit's of the fucking just. <laughs> Why do you think they call him Sea Because he's a biscuit in the sea. He was meant for the sea. Max, you are taking this way too fucking literally. Uh, um, at this point in time, you may ask, well, what about the automobile? The car would have a... What about what, the automobile? I'm asking about it now. The car would provide a faster version of uh, land travel when compared to the horse, but was considerably more expensive and still don't, didn't solve the problem of distance and fast-paced travel, and it still couldn't go over the water. Also, so, also, just as an extra thing, I almost, I, I'm sorry, I sounded like a DSJ double. Also... Like, Wait, well, hold up, hold up. No, yes, um, Jake, no, I so, call on you. What a normal thing, too, when we think about the world today, if you're in a modern country, which, congrats, I guess, mm -hmm. fucking capitalist, um, <laughs> is the fact that we benefit from a mostly modern road system. Mm -hmm. So in America, where Lucas and I are from, if you're an international mm -hmm. listener, we have an interstate system that's entirely... Eisenhower. Yes. Yeah. Is an entirely uh, paved road system. And it was built out of paranoia. Pretty much, like if the Russians like invaded, then we would have to get shit from one. No, and that's exactly what it was too, because it was it was built in the middle of the Red Scare. So it's like we need fucking transportation links to every massive city in the country. And also the fact too that it basically sped up and increased the auto industry in America. It's pretty fucking big because everybody wanted a car. Well, and that's that's kind of the thing too is like people think about automobiles as if they were always a large portion of society. When we're talking about the twenties and thirties, cars were luxury items. Very luxury. Most people did not own cars and if you did it it was a rickety yeah. death trap <laughs> even in the best of times but the fact is too is like when you think about as a transportation method i mean obviously horses is fucking stupid the train too <laughs> with things like that but cars you i didn't not, mention trains so that's a good point yeah, yeah. but you, you at this point in time you do not have a paved road system mm -hmm. across Europe. You Especially in Europe, yeah. You do not have Europe, an yeah. autobahn. You do not have... You end up driving on a lot of roads that were also originally made for horses. That's still common it's today. That's still, that's still very common today. Especially you, you, in Eastern Europe. A lot of cramped uh, roads and things like that that were originally meant for horse travel are used for yeah. cars now, which makes for some sticky situations, and it's why European cars tend to be a lot smaller than American cars. Yeah. I just so. thought it was because their cocks were bigger, but that works too. Anyway, um, so, <laughs> the natural assumption at this point was to look to the sky. Orville and Wilbur Wright became the first humans to attain sustained flight when they tested their self-manufactured biplane at Kitty Hawk in 1903. From that point on, the world became obsessed with the possibilities of plane travel and the opportunity for humans to soar into the skies. Now, commercial air flights would start to become a rowdy uh, for upper class classes of society beginning in, the <laughs> beginning in the 1930s. Despite this new reality and the immense world of possibility, the risk and, cha the, the risk and chances involved in air travel were evident in the early years of flight as <laughs> deadly plane crashes and disappearances stained the reputation of the young and burgeoning in plane industry. Dude, I think like the third fucking flight of Orville and Wilbur Wright's plane caused the death of like one person. Yeah, it wasn't good. It was not good. Um, so the point is, it, 
while this may seem like, why the fuck are we doing uh, airships because we have planes? You have to realize at this point in time, uh, planes were not safe, nor were they common. Again, it was one of those things where it, um, yeah, these are burgeoning industries, right? Also, so. nobody trusts an airplane. What's kind of funny about it is it's the same idea with a car. It is the same idea kind of maybe with a train. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. But I know specifically within, like, cars and within airplanes and later within, like, I think... Like, just, like, ideas of space travel and things like that, to a point. There was a lot of people, originally, who would say it was a fad, and then it wasn't going to work. Yeah, a lot of people... And then it took the fuck off. <laughs> and then, oh, God, Uncle Greg was wrong. Oh, yeah. shit. And then no, like, I mean, fuck it. At this point in time, there was no straight solution to the planes or the end-all, be-all here. That, no. wasn't, that wasn't decided. Um, in addition, planes were often uncomfortable and claustrophobic and devoid of any of the amenities the upper class were used to having. So, um, while the play, you. no, but okay, but that, I know, but the fact is that it that comes into play with this story. Okay, okay? fair enough. Fair so, uh, because we are talking about the people at the upper crest of society that would but be riding them. airships. Fuck them. Yeah, but exactly. But the point is, they want to travel like they live on land. So they can't get a boat. <laughs> Okay, you're, okay, no, you okay. You cannot fight me on this. We're, I'm not fighting you. I'm just fighting the idea that these fucking rich twats were like, "What? I wanna, I want to pretend like my mansion floats in the sky." So what you is, act, you you I, you said that like I was part of the upper class. Like, I'm not saying these things, motherfucker. You're, white. <laughs> you're also mostly white. What's That's your true. point? That is true. <laughs> Like, it just aggravates me because this is the same reason that we've got fucking millionaires now with trillionaires like, let me launch a car into space. Like, yeah, but that doesn't mean that... You're a waste of fucking time. I don't give a... You can be out. irritated, but it doesn't change the truth. Fuck the truth. All right, anyway. The truth um, is dead. Long live the truth. We're going to keep going. <laughs> While the plane would come to dominate the future of aviation and air Dominate. travel, there was a time in which uh, another competitor seemed just as likely to take the crown. At one time, it seems as if the airship would be the future of the air travel for the world's population. The airship held the pro... The promise of lifting passengers through the clouds, propelled by lighter-than-air hydrogen, the airship promised the luxury and excess of upper-class living uh, on land, but but flown through the air. I love the entirety of this fucking concept. There's like, do you want to get further away from the poor people? Well, let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm glad you're getting mad, but because that means you're understanding the path I'm going on, so you're doing good. I'm always (laughs) angry. You're lucky that I'm here. You're probably familiar with the world's most infamous airship crash, uh, that of the Hindenburg. But before the Hindenburg disaster of the late 1930s ended Germany's aspirations of airship superiority, the British government held its. Hey, I'm not done. Hitler. <laughs> the British government held its designs on taking that crowd. Yes, Jake. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> and I have a quote here. <clears throat> And this is from this is from Lord Christopher Birdwood Thompson. Oh my fucking god! I do very often have a sort of vision as to what aviation will be in the future, and I can foresee the time when noble lords will travel in gliders with light engines swinging the, their way westward along the valley of the of the Thames, northward to Scotland, Thames, and southwards on. to Hampshire, Hampshire, Berkshire, and Kent on their way. They will need to Kent rest on their way. Is that the <laughs> Navy gave it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, perhaps, perhaps they may call it one of those giant airships, floating serene and safe, high, and far removed from terrestrial dirt and noise. He's like a madman. Yes, he, no, okay, listen, he's fucking crazy, and you're gonna get that as we go through here. This man is hellbent. He's got the biggest hard-on for airships that I've ever seen in my fucking life. Oh, if only you could see the massiveness of the airship. Oh, I'm rock hard. The airship makes me happier than my ever my bitch wife could. He has no wife. His wife is just a fucking airship. <laughs> His wife is a disguise. <laughs> I would love to marry this airship, except for this <clears throat> cunt Louise. So, this sets us down the path of what's gonna, I'm gonna turn the British airship race. Oh my god. So this is organized by said Air Minister, Lord Thompson. I'm going to refer to him as Lord Thompson the rest of the time, by the way. I'm not going to say Christopher Birdwood Thompson the no, rest of the time. but don't any of that. But it, we're, we're just calling him Lord Thompson. Um, he, he organized this in a meeting of British Parliament. Um, he, he urged for the concept of competition between two different... Between two differing uh, places of building it, okay. um, he said these ranches will promote a spirit of bloody, <laughs> of friendly emulation. Said Thompson. Did you say bloody or? Friendly? Excuse me. So he said these ranches will promote a spirit of friendly emulation. 
It's a bit of a Freudian slip for you. <laughs> no, I, I did it because the next line, a parlor remember response. Come off it. What you mean is a bloody competition. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I just love that some fucking heckler in the group was like, Gay! Your no, idea is like, gay! I mean, this was a closed, like, session, like, meeting with, like, a smaller section of British Parliament. So, it was, oh, like, it's basically I mean, like a Senate sense. committee, almost. British Parliament <laughs> isn't by... Come off it! It's by and far the fucking most... My favorite part of that song is, like, come off it! Shit-posting group of politicians I've ever seen. Come off it! Come off it, you fucking moron! <laughs> you fucking what? <laughs> you wanna have a row? So... So the onset of competition. Uh, The competition would be set forth in the 1920s uh, between two teams of airship designers. One airship would be designed by a private company called Vickers, and that one would be called the R100. Okay, so this is is a company too that um, if you hold on, this is I just want to. This is very important. So um, we this the rest of the of this uh, episode, I'm going to say the names R100 and R101 a lot. So you need to remember, R-100 is the airship by the private company, okay. and R-101 is the government airship, and that is crucial to understand, because the rest of the yeah, episode, I'm going to... Write that down. Write that down if you're listening. <laughs> Honestly, you might want to, because I'm going to say this name's a lot. Um, so R-100 is the... Um, <laughs> I'm going to give you another way to remember it in a second here, but Jake, what was your comment about Vickers? No, I was going to say, and, and for the like significance of Vickers as a name, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to air travel, you have... Um, Vickers being the company that basically would later go on in World War One to make aircraft engines and airplanes. So they already knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they were going at it this way is kind of fucking presumptuous. I well, will be honest. And see, here's the fucked up part about this. Uh, the Air Ministry and Lord Thompson were to pick the winner of this competition. So essentially, they have to choose between the private company's airship and then the airship they're building themselves. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> That's not a competition. <laughs> that's bullshit. That's the first fucked up part of this. So that's that's the first part you should get upset about. Oh my um, god. Well, this leads to a lot of shit. Um, oh no, you don't say. <laughs> uh, th- what's really funny though is the assigning of political ideals to the I- identity of these ships. So the R100 designed by the Vickers Company would become to be known as the capitalist airship. Yeah. <laughs> and the R101 designed by the government would become to be known as the socialist airship. <laughs> I'm just, I'm so confused. Oh, wait, oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, Lord right, Thompson right. referred to both airships as his children. <laughs> He'd be quoted as saying, The R100 bought, brought me pleasure. I hope the R101 will bring me joy. <laughs> this man is jerking off the airship. Oh, this man's getting fucking hard for airships, man. This is unsettling, oh my god. So, okay, but do you understand why they assigned those political identities to the airships? Does that make sense to you? Or is yeah, that because st- capitalist was an independent company. Right, and it's the market building the airship, essentially. the government doing it. Yeah, it's the market building the airship. Also, at like, this time, should we understand that there is a terror of communism in Europe at this point. Oh, yeah. We're talking, like, around, I think this time, it might have been late teens, I think it was, that mm-hmm. we actually ended up going into... Um, fuck, what was it? We ended up going into Russia and sending, like, Marines in, not to, like, fight and, and start a war, but just basically to act as, like, a policing action because of the Bolshevik Revolution. And even now, it's it's an undertow. It's an undertone, but it's not as, like, extreme as, say, the Red Scare was in the 50s. Cool. Well, fuck, all right. <laughs> no, I'm just... some context, but fuck me! No, I like your context, I... I came off really bad tonight. 809 <laughs> The Rock. We got Jacob Clutch. Why did you suck my dick? Alright, okay, so anyway. um, So, the, the more fucked up part, we get going here. So, the challenge is put forth to both teams. So, the, I'm going to get quickly into the makeup of an airship so we can kind of understand just how ridiculous this, this concept is. Okay. So, you have to have a rigid metal skeleton. So, that's to hold everything together, right? You know, to hold, like, the structure of the ship and yep. be able to support everything. Um, Consider it like a massive Yeah, so its purpose is to, to, to provide the support for the <laughs> to provide support stupid. for the airship's inner components, um, engines, cockpits, and passenger cabins. So basically, it'll hold all the shit together. Jake's right; it's like a rector said. Think about it well, like that. Basically, yeah, it's basically a gigantic. Um, structured skeleton around mm-hmm. what is going to be this fabric. Like, skin, I guess. I would well, that say. leads me to the next part. So the next part is the sturdy and yet lightweight covers for the skeleton. Um, so the covers of the airships, so the jobs, like, they, like, sit on top of that of that Raptor set. Yeah. 
Uh, they withstand sun, rain, and wind resistance, or at least that's the goal. Um, uh, it, does not, it does not, however, withstand, it gets an explosion from the inside. Yeah, um, and then um, the third main component is the massive intestine-covered hydrogen gas bags. Intestine-covered? Yeah, most of the time they used the intestines to hold them together because they were lightweight but yet, like, sturdy. Like cow intestines. Oh, okay, I was like, well, what kind? I was waiting. Cow for intestines. Species of animal. Bovine. People. <laughs> Bovine. Oh, no. Bovine, sir. Um. Bovine Jonies. <laughs> well, uh, so these um bags filled with the hydrogen were to provide lift and power. Um. So side note, hydrogen is extremely flammable. Yeah. Um. But it is lighter than air. So if the you idea remember is. Remember from our uh, discussion. I think it was, yeah, if you remember from my discussion, the K129 hydrogen is very dangerous in right. confined space. But the idea is, though, that you can harness this hydrogen in a bag, and it can lift you up into the air so you can soar like a god. <laughs> like a god with an ego complex problem. Um, what? The, and the entire ship also had to be very lightweight somehow. So, um, good luck, um, is what I have to say. It was um, successful to a point. So that's uh, engineering. Um, and then you add to it the journeys these ships were expected to make. Yeah. Um, so it was said that these these journeys, by the way, were said to be equivalent time-wise to putting a man on the moon. <laughs> so that's part of it. Um, How could they even... Okay, I'm assuming that's a post-man-on-the-moon reference. Right. That. No, this is a historical reference. It's not, They weren't saying that at the time. Oh, thank God. I mean, I'm just using... A, no, this is meant to give you context. So, like... Um, you know, which is funny because it's going to lead into next week's topic, but, um, (laughs) but it's, um, but that's the idea here is that the, the challenge here is equivalent to what that challenge was like, which if you want to listen to our next week's episode, we're going to be talking about that show. Anyway, um, (laughs) the journeys, um, so these were actually the longest attempted airship journeys ever. Um, the expected journey. So the R100 was expected, so this is the the capitalist airship was expected to fly from London to British Canada and back. So from London to Canada and back. Which is pretty um, pretty substantial because they cross right. a cross Atlantic journey would usually take you mm-hmm. about two and a half months, maybe mm-hmm. three months. But the R one hundred one was expected to fly from London to British India and back. <laughs> so another very substantial journey. What the hell? Um, that is substantial. Um, Holy yes, shit. and both trips would take weeks via ship, yeah. um, but were expected to only take days via the airship. So we got oh, some <laughs> we got some mint. fucking mint uh, trips coming up. <laughs> um, so the competition brings new challenges. This is where we get start talking about the actual realities of these teams and the, yeah. the conditions that they're facing. Well, number one, because at this point in time, obviously airships are a, a still a brand new thing, and everybody has keep going their um their hopes and dreams, as stupid as they may be. Um, but the fact is that they really have no idea in the end what the fuck this is going to turn out to be. No. That's the um, best part about this is the fact that I get to watch in real time man's folly just go to shit. You get to see in real time how bad this turns out. Oh, it goes bad. It turns bad real fast. Um, yeah, so competition brings some new challenges. So the R100 teams, this is, again, this is the, uh, private company. Um, so they're under a very tight budget, obviously. Um, they're contracted out, so if you know anything about government contracts, usually you don't have a lot of money to fuck with, <coughs> unless you're under Scott Walker, in which case, you know, just take all the money. Yeah, you know, go ahead and just build a non-existent track. Just go ahead and build it. Ah, still makes me bitter. Anyway, anyway um, the R100 team is forced to build their shop in Howden, Yorkshire, yeah. um, which is north of London um, by quite a bit, so, you know, um, they don't really get... Up to, in Yorkshire. Yeah, they but they don't get to build. <laughs> they don't get to build their um their airship close to where the things are really going to happen. No. Um, so that's a Which disadvantage. In hindsight, seems like a bit of a problem. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm sorry for cutting you off, by the way. No, you're good. Um, the disadvantages. So, um, corrugated iron roof of the shop continued to leak all year, <laughs> whether it was spring or winter. Water was leaking in that bitch. <laughs> Somebody needs to get some fucking flex deal. I'm gonna watch. I just want to watch Bill Swift just cut a boat in half while he's also the, fixing the roof of your. The boiler. airship framework they had was corroded. Um, what the fuck? The cotton airship co- uh, cover they're using was growing mold. What the fuck? <laughs> the gas bags were glued together with cow intestines to hold the hydrogen. Uh, That's but, less weird. But the airship worked by utilizing the lighter than air qualities of hydrogen to lift the ship in the air. Okay, that was just another comment talking about that. I'm, okay, I apologize. Okay. Um, but there was also a vast array of rodents and other nightmare-inducing pests called the that called the grounds home. 
Yeah. They enjoyed biting into rotting cowhide used to hold the hydrogen gas tanks oh together. God. Oh my god, it's such a fucking drink. This is a sign from God, right now, to stop your cracker-ass endeavor before it gets off the ground. The fun thing is, this isn't the team that's gonna have the issues. What the fuck? <laughs> Um, <clears throat> and the other issue, the other issue here is the R101 team, the opposing team, is built by the government. It was both competitor and judgment of the contest. And we already talked about how fucked uh, up yeah, that was. I'm not surprised. And the R100 team knew not whether their airship or their jobs would be safe at the end of the competition. <laughs> oh, that's a great, that's a great motivator too. Yeah. Well, if we lose, you're fucked. <laughs> And they're also understaffed and put through a brutal schedule. I guess, I guess I'll just die. <laughs> um, advantages for the R100. Mainly their chief engineer, who goes by the name of Barnes Wallace. Okay. Um, so this gentleman had actually designed multiple airships before. Okay, so um, he's, got some, he's got some work under his belt. Yeah, so the, the good thing is this dude kind of knows what he's doing. Um, and you'll kind of see that he's like, he just gets really pissed at the whole circumstance, which is yeah. honestly very fair. Cause I mean, very fair. Also, his name is Barnes. Like, I'm sorry, but that's just. Barnes is the kind of <clears throat> name in any, any movie or story where he's the, he's the fucking guy who's done the designs, but yet the captain doesn't want to listen to him. Yeah. He's like the guy, he's like the guy from the movie Titanic. Where they're like, we really should not, we can go around the ice field, and we don't have to put the boat in danger, and it's only going to cost us maybe a day. Full speed ahead! Go straight through it! Fuck it! Yeah, pretty much. Oh, oh god. No. Um, and he would become famous in the, in the past of Barnes, or in the future, I should say, for designing a bomb that was able to skip like a rock over water. Oh, I know this and, one. And, 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 and destroy German dams. Oh, I know this one. We yes. We about these guys are fucking rad, the, the dam busters. Because it was just a fucking yeah. barrel loaded with explosives <laughs> that they rock skipped it into the side of a dam. Yeah, and this guy designed that bomb. Yeah, so he like, did. He's really smart. So like this, rock and this, roll. Guy, this guy knows what he's doing. So you can tell right away this guy's not dying. That's a spoiler there for yeah. you. But um, a quote from Barnes's wife. In our poor little hangar, Barnes works late writing answers to idiotic people who don't know one end of an airship to another. Oh my god. <laughs> I included that quote because no, I... get everybody to make the fucking spaceship. I loved it so much because he was like, hey, my husband deals with such fucking idiots. Oh my god. Uh, what the... F <laughs> I mean, yes, he is He is a gentleman. Yeah, also, I mean... <laughs> everyone on the team is so Fuck. Now I don't think he, I don't think she was even talking about that. I think she was talking about the other people. Because here I will see the opposing team often tried to get Barnes's opinion on their airship. Oh. <laughs> he didn't want to help. Yeah, Barnes shut did, up. first reason is Barnes didn't respect the other designer. He called him quote he's a mere works manager, not a technologist in any sense of the word. <laughs> Uh, he knew the competition was rigged, uh, in the R101's favor, obviously. Oh, naturally, yeah. Um, and he's already fucking overworked and tired because we talked about these people are not staffed properly. I just want to make this point out to all government contractors. Please, God, please. If you work your teams to their breaking point, the end result is not good. No one has ever been, I'm on two hours of sleep and six pills of Meloxicam, I don't know what. To I'm doing great. I'm ready to fucking rock and roll! And it's really funny, he's actually... I crushed the Madderall and snorted it. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. So how do I draw? I don't know how to use my fingers. So the opposing team actually sent blueprints of the design, asking for, like, his opinion on it. <laughs> he basically said, It's the cruelest piece of design I've ever seen. Until it has proven unsatisfactory, oh I prefer the arrangement we have worked out for the R101. <laughs> they sent that back to him. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god. Guy's a fucking G, I love this guy. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, the R101 situation. So the advantages could also be disadvantages, um, as they're about to prove here. Um, they did have a much larger budget, but they often and they often joked about the budget of the R100 team. <laughs> saying things like someone sh should someone lend them a toolkit and shit like that. Oh, Jesus. I fucking love that these guys are just talking shit the um, time. They had the full support and backing of Lord Thompson, but as, as we're about to do. see. Um, this isn't necessarily a great thing. You're <laughs> um, This leads to much more pressure, um, as we'll cover. Yeah. Um, they had much higher expectations to meet with Lord Thompson had in mind. Yeah. yeah. Um, they weren't just building an airship, they were building a fucking floating palace. Um, the ship was supposed to consist of two decks of passenger areas, a spacious viewing deck with large windows, a dining room that could fit 60 people, an onboard kitchen capable of serving banquets, and wait for it, a smoking room. Oh, God. <laughs> Aside from all the unusual... Oh, God! <laughs> Sorry. 
all gonna go wrong. Aside from all the usual components necessary to make an airship work. Oh um, so the smoking room, if you don't realize, again, hydrogen, very flammable. <laughs> and all these people have got the, the uh, cigarettes on these long holders. And I just imagine that, like, it's just a dick measuring contest of all these rich dudes to be like, well, my holder is about six and a half meters long, and he just taps into the roof, and the whole building, the whole fucking thing just goes up. And it's not what happens. Could have happened. I don't care, but that's how I'm gonna envision it. Shut up. Um, so first officer on this uh, airship, his name is Noel Atheston. Um, so he had survived multiple airship crashes in World War One, um, and he actually wanted to captain his own ship one day. So this guy's not an idiot, yeah. um, and he saw the issues with R101. <laughs> he actually told the crew. Every crewman is to carry a knife in his belt. Trust me, if you want to survive an airship crash, you cut your way out and you do it fast. Oh God, that's, <laughs> like, that's like what happens in any like movie about a natural disaster where like the old guy's like, I've been through this shit before, let me tell you. I feel so bad for this man because he knows it's about to go to shit. He knows. This is a man who's seen death before. Yeah, yeah. He said of the schedule, it's a grossly unfair schedule with impossible tasks. <laughs> or carried out into a mad Russian panic. <laughs> Russian panic, huh? Rush and panic. Oh, rush and panic. I was like, wait, let's just throw some ethnicity. No, he didn't do there. that. <laughs> Lord Thompson invited even more pressure. <laughs> he gave a speech and invited 100 members of parliament on board the R101. Okay. <laughs> the R101 crew was ordered to remove all of the parachutes. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> <laughs> Thompson wanted to fly the group, but the weather proved too bad. Oh my god. Um, he, he said, quote, I was hoping for a breeze so that I could show off its all-weather capabilities. The R-101 is an all-weather craft, said Lord Thompson. <laughs> god, I'm so mad right The crew's intuition told a different story, but no one wanted to tell that to Thompson. <laughs> oh, Jesus, no. Oh, oh no. Uh, so one of the main problems with the ship that they're seeing at this point that they've built is the lack of lift problems. Okay. Um, so, so what, what, just for the sake of the listener, what do you mean by that? Is it's having problems getting off the, the ground? Problem, yeah, the problem is it's having problems with being in the air. That's its main function! <laughs> that's not a, That's not good! Uh, so one of the things they do to try to compensate for this um, is they expand the hydrogen gas bags to hold more hydrogen. Oh, yes, uh, their idea is to give make the ship bigger. more lift. Um, the gas bags, however, started to scrape up against the side of the ship, oh, against the, bu- the bolts oh, on the frame. <laughs> Uh, and they this even whole went, thing is like an inch <laughs> away from disaster. Oh my god! They even went as far as cutting the airship open, inserting a new section with gas bags, and sewing the ship back together again. What the fucking no! <laughs> oh my god! It's already we're talking about how volatile the gas is, and we're like, well, shit, it's scraping against the metal stuff. <laughs> if it tears, it it sparks. Oh god! Right. Um, in preparation and final warning signs for the big trip. Oh god. Uh, the date was set for the trip to India for the R101. October 1930 would be the time of truth. However, the, the, the crew still had time in September 1930 to see the writing on the wall. The ship was not ready. September 1930 and the warning signs. Oh, God. The ship had recently made an appearance at an air show in London. It was reported the ship dipped its nose to salute the king. What really happened was the R101 had briefly nosedived oh, about God. above a crowd of 150,000 people. <laughs> oh, God. I'm just having this... Like existential panic attack as we're talking about this because I just remember the uh, conversation or not the conversation but like uh, I think a couple of years ago, maybe 2018, maybe 2019 or, or a little bit more after that, there was a attempt to fly the world's largest aircraft, mm-hmm. which was basically this. It was yeah. two dirigibles strapped together with airplane engines, and the fucking thing bounced into the ground nose first. Just not good. Not great. No, 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 no. Hmm. <laughs> After the flight, the captain examined the ship to find holes in many of the ship's bags due to the scraping of the bags against the bolts on the side of the ship. (laughs) And the smell of leaking hydrogen. How does that smell? What does that smell? And mold. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Just all bad shit. What the fuck? Um, It's all gone wrong. (laughs) The ship would go on to be examined by a a regulator by the name of Frederick McQuaid. Uh, The regulator had years of experience examining airships. He said after examining the ship, I cannot recommend to you the extension of the present permit to fly or the issue of any further permits or certificates. Don't go on it. Uh, We're going to go on it anyway. No! The government, however, overruled the regulator and issued the flight certificates. Oh, Jesus. Why does government agencies always do this shit? Uh, It's like with with 9-11 when they were like, 
what if we just cut some corners on the building construction? <laughs> just a little bit. No one will notice. <laughs> just a bit, man. It'll, It'll never... sandwich down on top of itself. It'll never matter. No, man. This building will never fall down. Never. <laughs> Ever. Um, it so, <laughs> Future novelist uh, by the name of Neville Shute Norway. Oh, I think I know um, this guy too. Was then a deputy on the R-100 ship. Oh, God. Um, visited the R-101 ship to report back to Barnes Wallace. He said, quote, she is an amazing piece of work. The finish and the workmanship is extraordinarily good, far better than that of our own ship, B. You don't sound totally convinced? Well, design seems almost unbelievably complicated. <laughs> the imagination has not run riot regardless, has run riot regardless of the virtue of simplicity and utterly regardless of expense. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, workers from the 101 then took Norway aside and showed him pieces of fabric from the top of the R101. Norway maneuvered it between his fingers as the fabric disintegrated. <laughs> what the fuck is happening? The workers urged Norway that they got all of it off the ship. Deteriorate like this fast. <laughs> this is insane. Uh, uh, before the R one hundred flight to Canada, the R one hundred one team, so the team that's trying to fly to India, the one that's not going so well, suggested a postponement of flight to allow more time for preparation. The R100 team declined the friendly invitation. Because <laughs> they were like, fuck you, man. Our you ship's good. on the death machine? No. Well, because they were nah, like, our no, ship's okay. our ship's fine. Like, we don't have problems. Like, and you fuckers have all this budget and shit? Like, no. Man, we're going man. now. <laughs> what did you do with all of it? <laughs> well, that's the, they didn't have time. Exactly. The thing. Uh, Lord Thompson then raised the stakes again and made plans for a grand gesture at the beginning at the end of the Indian flight. When asked about a possible delay, Lord Thompson said, I must insist on the program for the Indian flight <laughs> being adhered to as I have made my plans accordingly. I want a pound on the table, but I can't. <laughs> Workers begged and asked superiors to interview with Lord Thompson, but they refused. Oh, God. <laughs> They're like, we're not talking to that fucking crazy dude. <laughs> I'm talking to that fucking idiot. Um, the faithful trip of the R101. Okay. Happened after R100's trips to Canada, and those trips actually went great. The R100 had no problems going to Canada and coming back. Okay, good. Everything was fine. Good. Um, the R101 crew, crew, actually, though, knew the ship was in bad shape before they tried to go to India. Uh, oh, so, so, so a couple God. things here. Oh, One of the God. ship's crew told his son, Now look, I, that I, I want you to make me two promises, boy. One is you'll join the he Navy. He doesn't even say boy. Fucking One is you'll join the Navy. And the other one is you promised me that you look after your mother and your sister because I may not be coming back off this flight. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is what gets sad. The R101 captions try to take every precaution to keep the flight, you know, light. Uh, paper bags were insisted. In, instead, of, instead of cookie jars, people can only take paper bags to hold their cookies on the flight. Um, instead, instead <laughs> oh, of, thank God. <laughs> apparently, people are bringing cookie jars. Um, instead of, like, suitcases, they had to use paper parcels. <laughs> okay. Just a slight problem with that. Number one, it's a suitcase. But yet the contents of this suitcase is still in the bag. Listen, but they were so concerned about the lift that they had really had to just everything. That has no bearing on it. Although, but then Lord Thompson showed up. Oh, and God, he was way God. less concerned about the weight of the ship. What a fucking asshole. Uh, loaded on the ship were his briefcase, two trunks used as suitcases and champagne holders, and the ornamental carpet, which weighed as much as a man. <laughs> I just love... Okay, in my mind, I could see this being like a fucking movie where the captain and the crew of this doomed fucking just <laughs> dumbass idea is just like, all right, <coughs> we've come to a conclusion. Then what we can do is if we just remove <laughs> All of the non-essential material. We can make this. We can make it work. Stop interrupting. <laughs> we'll be able to get enough lift to fly the airship. And then some guy comes back and goes, Oh, hey, Captain, it looks like we've got ourselves and everything's fine. Oh, my fucking God, what's that? <laughs> and he's coming up over the hill. And he's got it. Hey, yes. And I'm going to have my footman take me to my thing. He's just being carried <laughs> like an Egyptian king over the hill. Pretty much. Got, I've got my cart. I've got, <laughs> I've got pretty... to bring my car. I'm going to bring my um, oriental carpet. I'm going to bring um, my all of my... Um, East Asian sex slaves. That's pretty I'm much, going yes. To bring, <laughs> yes. Like, and I'm going to bring my collection of stone dogs. So the ship takes off, overloaded with supplies and people, at around 6.30 at night. A fucking <laughs> lunatic, I swear. The ship strained and the tip pointed slightly downward, even at the beginning of the flight. 
Danger back in his Lord Thompson and the crew, esteemed, esteemed guest on the R101, sent Root into a storm on the way to India. Wait, I'm sorry. You said that he decided to go through a storm. Well, the ship had to go through a storm because they had to they had to follow the schedule, and there's a storm in the way. So the ship flew, it's already flying way lower over the waves of the English Channel than expected. Oh my god. At the point where they reached the, the town of Bouvet, France. Oh my fucking, I would love to be a guy who just watched this catastrophe. No, there's a guy that does. Down. There's a guy literally walking oh around god. trying to hunt rabbits that sees this whole thing happen. Oh my fucking god. <laughs> um, as the crew members were looking out the windows of Bouvet, they could see the Bouvet Cathedral out the windows of the I-101. <laughs> so that's not a good sign. That's not good. That's not good <laughs> um, at, at which point, the man that's watching this incident happen sees the nose of the ship fully tilt down oh <laughs> outside the city of Bouvet near a forest. The ship now completely stripped of its covers. As some spots will be exposed, it's leaking hydrogen bags. <laughs> As the ship came down to rest in the woods, the passengers would have felt pain uh, no worse than falling off a bike. And then a spark, and then an immense explosion in fire engulfing the once mighty ship. Oh, God. Not mighty. It's not that at all. Well, it was. uh, It wasn't mighty then, and it's not now. It was ill-fated to say the least. Of the 48 people on board the ship, only eight of the people on on board would survive the crash. That actually doesn't surprise me. Among those who perished in the crash were Lord Christopher Birdwood Thompson himself, the man who started the great British airship race, um, perished because of it. I can only say he may have had it coming. Yeah, he definitely fucked up a lot of shit here. Neville Shute Norway would later state, uh, if the cabinet committee wanted competition, they got it with a vengeance, but I wouldn't say that it was healthy. The R-100 never flew again and was sold for its parts. Even though the R-100 had won, it had also lost. So, just to give you some context, um, a total from the Hindenburg disaster... I, actually, hang on, hang on. Oh, I, got, I got, I got oh, airship okay, disaster okay. numbers here. Um, so there's six women that I pulled. Uh, the R-38 crashed in the Humber Estuary on the 23rd of August, 1921, killing 44 out of the 49 people on board. Oh, Jesus. Um, Fucking Christ. The Roma crashed in Norfolk, Virginia on during test flights on the 21st of February, 1922, killing 34 people. Uh, the Dixmood, um, unfortunate name. I'm sorry. <laughs> Crashed off I the. Have at it I know. Uh, crashed off the course of Sicily on the 21st of December 1923, um, with the loss of 52 lives. Um, the R101, which is obviously one we talked about, crashed in Bouvet, north of France, on the 5th of October 1930, killing 48 people. Uh, the USS Akron crashed on the 4th of April 1933 off the coast of New Jersey. 73 out of the 76 crew were killed. Uh, it's the greatest loss of life in any airship incident. Actually, uh, not a fun fact, but not a fun fact. Uh, being of the, I guess, the Navy buff that I am, um, one of the things that I remembered now that I was thinking about it was in World War II, uh, in the very beginning stages of America entering the war, mm-hmm. when the Germans were operating submarines off the East Coast and in the Gulf of Mexico, there was a situation where a submarine engaged in a gunfight with a fucking dirigible. <laughs> And I need to find the name of it while you're rattling through this. And then lastly, the Hindenburg crash on the 6th of May, 1937 in New Jersey, and 35 people died, and, and uh, one on the ground also died. Yeah, I'm um, not surprised. So yeah, so this actually killed significantly more people than the Hindenburg, um, but it's lesser known. Yeah, because the Hindenburg, which is weirdly enough, was bigger, but it was also closer to the ground in certain cases. Which yeah. I think in some ways, I think that may have aided, because I think, like, there was just situations where being close to the ground you had not as many people on board or by just dumb luck you somehow fucking survived the inferno Mm -hmm. because god knows i mean just looking at color pictures of the hindenburg it's fucking terrible yeah i just don't know i'm just surprised that anybody survived that yeah i I mean really am to to kind of put a little bit of a light on the end of this actually i've got some information on the survivors that survived this crash uh the r101 crash a-okay uh, well, so we know some uh, about six out of eight of the survivors. Um, one of these guys is actually very, very cool. His name is Henry Leach. Um, so after the crash, he wins the Albert Medal for Bravery. Um, it was given by King George in 1931 um, for rescuing fellow survivor Arthur Disley despite his own serious burns. So okay. he went back in to save this man despite his own burns, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, he was also an engineer on Sir Malcolm Campbell's cars when he was breaking land speed records. So this man goes on to help break fucking land speed records after this, which is super cool. Well, I mean, around the same time, too, within, like, historical context, you have people pushing the boundaries of what is the modern technology. So around Mm -hmm. the 20s and 30s specifically, Mm -hmm. you did have a massive thing 
going on when it came to race cars and things like that. Yeah, but the fact that this man who survived the fucking airship crash is like, yeah, I still want to fucking do this. It's, yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's inherent in people. That's just, yeah. You were on the front line of technological innovation. But then he also, in, it's funny you say it, because he also helps, uh, he works at a hospital later in his life, and he teaches at a university, but I don't have the name of it, but he also works at a hospital later in his life, and he helps develop new treatments um, for different diseases. So this man is just a genius, really. I'm glad that he did not die. <laughs> right. Um, so he was very, very cool. Um, obviously, all these people are cool, um, you know, but that he accomplished some really neat stuff. Uh, another one of the survivors that goes by the name of Engineer Victor S- Savoy. Um, he worked for the Air and, uh, Inspectorate Division for Lincoln in World War II after uh, surviving the crash. Yeah. Um, another survivor's name is John Henry Binks, um, but he goes by Joe. Um, he, fa- he actually fainted at the first R101 memorial service, uh, for obvious reasons. Um, yeah. he continued to work actually at the Royal Airship Works after the incident, um, and worked on later major airship projects in the 1950s. Uh, another survivor, uh, engineer Arthur Bell, had been on previous airships when it crashed and survived as well, actually. Uh, Arthur Disley, um, who we talked about briefly in the beginning, uh, survived both the R-100 and the R-101 airships. He's actually on both. Um, the R-100 actually didn't crash, obviously, but then he also went on the R-101. Um, yeah, that one did. <laughs> uh, after escaping the crash, he insisted on getting the news out before receiving any medical help. <laughs> yeah. For this, he was awarded the Order of the British Empire <laughs> Medal, um... By the, uh, I feel like you do deserve that. Yeah, in he that does. Uh, and the last survivor we know about um, is uh, Alfred Cook. Um, he had swapped ships with an ill colleague um, that had saved his life, basically. Oh, um, so he ended up working on that day for his ill colleague, and his colleague didn't end up surviving uh, the, the crash. Um, he escaped into a field, and he was actually on fire. <laughs> um, and he, he, but he like obviously put himself out. But uh, yeah. he had some very severe burns all over his body. But he survives that. Um, he serves in the Navy in World War II. Um, and he continues, and he continued to work for the R, the you know Royal Air Force for most of his life. He actually died at ninety one in nineteen ninety eight. Jesus Christ! Yeah, Alfred Cook lived until nineteen ninety eight, which is super cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's hey, kind it of was like just a year after I was born, and I considered. Yeah, but that kind of puts a cap on most of what I gathered. Um, but that's the British airship race. Um, thoughts, Jake? What do you What do you think? Um, there was a lot of people that died that didn't need to die. Yeah. Um, it's just an indication that we only learn from the mistakes of our past. But goddamn. Yeah. Uh, um, that's a hell of a mistake. Oh, holy Jesus. Yeah. So I mean, it's uh, it's one of those things that sits uncomfortable. Um, because there's definitely a lot of people that died that should not have, um, and it really just comes down to bureaucratic mismanagement for a lot of it. Bureaucratic mismanagement, the fact that one man's desire to fucking fly an airship without caring whether it was vetted at all, just just put it in the air. Yeah, I mean, I I would argue it's definitely a very interesting story, and it's definitely something that like worth talking about because there's a lot of lessons you can learn in this story yeah, yeah. um and there obviously are a couple months where you can laugh at just the stupidity but like I said, obviously it, we're not laughing it, at the uh, fact that these people died um i mean we never uh, we never do that on this podcast uh, so. i'm not saying i'm not disagreeing in that point i mean yeah we wouldn't but she's fucking crazy yeah i mean it's something uh, you know i would say next week will be would be less um, anger-inducing? Anger-inducing, but we're oh. also talking about the end of World War II. We're talking, so, we're talking about the end of World War II and the fact that we sold out pretty fucking hard. Yeah, we're talking about the end of World War II that you don't often read in history books. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, it's going to get interesting next week, but um, I would like I would say that this is actually a very good um, segue to what happens at the end of World War II, um, because some of the things that they're attempting to do yeah. here are much like what we attempted to do and then, you know, getting to the moon and stuff like that. So Yeah, on the Russian side, for sure, there were quite a lot of deaths. Yeah. Definitely nobody talked about because it would look bad. Yeah, so, I mean, it's going to get interesting. Um, I apologize that we're not going to be as humorous probably for a while. Um, uh, we'll, but we'll, we'll find, a way for we'll you find to humor in the episode. We found humor in this one, even though there wasn't much if of it. we laugh, you laugh. God damn it. Um, Jake, any final comments you want to make? No. I'm just, like, I'm not surprised, I guess, would be what I'm saying. And it just does show, however, just how far that we've come, in a weird way, because just talking from, like, 1913 
to like World War Two, and then from World War Two up until like I think even like the eighties, and then from the eighties to now, it's like technology is just ramped up triple and double its original like passage. The safety of air travel now is pretty pretty immense compared to some of these states Unless and stuff like that. You decide to nosedive a seven thirty seven into the ground at a hundred miles an hour in China, I guess. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, yeah. the fact that you're more likely to die in an auto accident now than an air accident is pretty impressive. Considering that is pretty impressive, actually. I've never really been afraid to be on an airplane, and I'm, I'm, yeah, it's it's never really scared me, even if it was one of those things that like, oh shit. Honestly, airplanes do scare me. I'm not gonna lie. This because you're a pussy. No, it's just this. <laughs> Take life by the ball. <laughs> Well, everybody, we hope don't you... Don't grope it like a woman because that's illegal and you know uh, we, that that's we, bad. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, <laughs> we'll be back with you next week talking some Operation Paperclip, talking some Nazis. Um, yeah. yeah. Talking, talking all the shit that God knows we should have just executed those fucks, but, you know, that we wouldn't have satellites that could send us to wherever. Well, we hope you have a great rest <laughs> of your night. Uh, thanks for listening. Talk to you later. And welcome to the Least Haunted Podcast, a place where science, skepticism, humor, and anthropology meet to discuss all things spooky, haunting, supernatural, and sometimes just the plain stupid. Join me, your host, Cody Franks, and your co-host, Garth Von Annen. That's me. Hi, everybody. As we journey all around the realms of the paranormal sciences to look with a critical and skeptical eye at various and sundry topics such as spontaneous human combustion, talking mongooses, various frozen hominids, St. Elmo's fire, and the Mothman, and also an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation for some reason, and a couple scripted radio play holiday specials. So join us every other week for a fun and hopefully entertainingly informative dive into all manner of spooky and strange occurrences, people, places, and things. Nouns. Nouns. The Least Haunted Podcast. Because the only thing that's haunted is you.